Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Cherries in Focus right here on Cherries Red Army. We are streaming live on YouTube and Twitter. Do subscribe to our channel. Do hit the like button because it was an exciting weekend. Marcus Tavernier with a brace, Justin Cliver with an ace and we bagged three points at Bramall Lane. I have John, Matt and Aaron with me. If you're watching this back on replay, thank you very much. Do do get your thoughts in the comments. Do tell us how you felt when that final whistle went in Sheffield. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, do follow us, do share us, and do support that part of the channel as well. We'll go round the room. Do let us know if you're interactively with us. Do say hi in the chat. John, what a fantastic weekend. How are you doing? What was your moment of the match day weekend 13? um hello everyone thanks uh thanks for joining us again um so i've got two quick ones um one is uh if you look at, to the build up to the second goal Clivert's goal you'll see dominic solanke bumping having a wrestling match with a sheffield united player i think it was zang zanker i want to say uh, i need to look up his name again but regardless the fact that they square up and what could have been quite awkward just gets forgotten about because Clivert puts the ball in the back of the net. And in the end, I think Solanke goes back to him and sort of makes a comment as he before he goes off to celebrate. Um, and the other one was that um, in Tavernier's, uh, Tavernier's post-match interview, he, he gets an apology from the um, from the guy that's asking him the questions that want to sort of say that, uh, sorry, we've called it wrong. We were calling it a golf swing when it's very clearly a baseball swing. It makes me wonder who on earth in <laughs> AFC Bournemouth's um, social media team is the golf player that they are that bad at golf that they thought that was a golf swing uh, as opposed to a baseball swing. So those are, those are my moments of the weekend. Yes, Matt, it was a home run from Marcus Tavernier. How are you doing? What was your moment of the match day weekend? Yeah, I'm well, Kurt. Good evening to you. Good evening, boys. Good evening, everybody. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, many a moment of the weekend. Obviously, we we stayed up, didn't we, Kirk? So it was um, it was a long weekend for us, and uh, in the main, quite an enjoyable one. Um, yeah, jo John's just reminded me of that because I was stood with uh, obviously Sandy, my missus, and my mate Ash on, in the away end, and I said to Ash, "I missed that. I missed the goal because I was too busy looking at Solanke and their defender um, having a bit of a." a set two and I was thinking don't do anything stupid Dom don't do anything stupid because the ref's right there so I was watching that and missed all of uh Cliver's goal but the <laughs> moment I think the moment the moment of the match for me was probably um Tavernier's second goal and our third because I was thinking where we were in the away end the first two goals I didn't really get a good view of obviously I've completely mm. missed the second one and the first one I, I didn't have a clue who scored it I thought it was Solanke I said to Ash, was that was that Solanke? And he was like, I don't know, couldn't see anything from where we were, really. So I was thinking, surely we've got to bag something down our end because we were so on top, weren't we? And so dominant. So when that third one went in, which I thought was a great, a, a well-worked goal, wasn't it? A great, great bit of play from Smithy, great ball in, poor defending for Tavernier to get in front, but brilliant finish. And that just put the icing on the cake, didn't it? At 3-0, you just knew that it was game, set and match, really, and we could relax a bit and enjoy ourselves. So you probably have to say, from my point of view, that was probably the moment for me um, in, in the game, but um, enjoyable all the way through, really. Yes, Aaron, lots of conversations to come around that 90 minutes. Adam Smith getting another assist, 351 appearances. Good to see you again, Aaron. Great to see you in Sheffield. What was your moment of the match day weekend? Yeah, thanks for having me on again. And thanks for everybody watching. Nice to be back on. Um, 
well, I'm going to be all like soppy here and say one of the moments was all five of us having a nice photo outside the pub before. Um, you know, we're, we're, there's not often that any game home or away that the five of us are, are all there. Obviously, Steve as well, I'm talking about. Um, so it was a really nice moment to, to all meet up and, um, and you know, share, share that moment together. Um, and I think I echo what the others the others have said. But it's funny enough, the second and third, it, it, Matt's right. The view at Sheffield is, is such that for the first goal, for the next five minutes, I was saying, who scored? You know, I didn't know who scored. I didn't really care. But who scored it? And then the second one as well, like I was actually watching Clive. I missed the whole, I was the opposite of Matt. I missed the whole Solanke debacle. But I think I was next to your boy, um, Kirk, and uh, obviously Owen, and then and my boys were the other side. And they were watching Solanke, and I was only watching Cliver. So I started cheering, and they were like, you know, but no one, it was all a complete mix up because everyone was watching what was going to happen with Solanke. Half people were watching Cliver. Um, so that was quite funny. And as Matt said as, as well, that third goal meant, meant I could finally relax. You know, I'm, I'm always the kind of negative one thinking, oh, if they get one back, we're in trouble. But I think at 3 0, I could finally relax. Yeah, it was fantastic. And um, how, how it worked out inside the stadium, I mean, we got seats together, Aaron. And then as I got to my seat, I looked to my left and Simon Kay was there with his boy, Josh Kane. You couldn't have made that up. And I said, well, Josh, you've got to perform here on the vlog. And it was great. So when you talk about that Clivert moment, I was trying to figure out who it was, keep an eye on Solanke. And Josh was going, it's Justin Clivert, it's Justin Clivert. So I'm, I'm glad Josh was next to me because he had control of everything going on. Great to have everyone at the game as well get a team CRA photo, including Steve Hensman, who's pretty much been on every Cherries in Focus episode. He's been here, but he's having a night off on me, and I'm sure he is absolutely drinking in what happened at the weekend. My moment was Marcus Tavernier coming alive, as predicted, and although I wanted Neto to get a clean sheet, 3-1, the Cherries... In the Cherries Red Army, 3-1 came in. The creator of that, Sammy Now, I'm sure, is very, very delighted. Although I'm sure she'd also want Neto to keep clean sheet. So there's that, my moment of the match day weekend. Chris Hubble, how are you? Thank you for joining us again on an interactive live stream. Stephen Dyer, Morgan, thank you very much for your comments on the match day blog. And to you as well, Mark Singleton, thank you very much. Matt C, Ethan Burney, hope you're doing well. Mark Cole, David Codron, who also noticed that I got a few things correct this weekend. Rob Toy, hope you're doing well. AFC Bournemouth, Germany. AFC Bournemouth, Germany. Nick Osborne, great to see you after the game. Thank you very much. Great to chat with you after those three points. So it was three points to the Cherries because we went to Sheffield. We bagged the win, an important win. We dominated the game. It was based on possession at the start. But once Tavernier got his first goal of the season, we never looked back. Adam Smith came into the side. The one change from Newcastle, that was forced, guys. And fair, fair play to Andoni. He could have brought Philip Billing straight into this, John. He could have just played those players that have got credit. He kept Cliver in this side. He was rewarded with his goal. We kicked on really early in the second half. So Barney was fantastic. We'll talk about many players who performed. What a great win. 3-1. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you can try and dissect it all you want, but really it just felt great to just be there and see a Bournemouth side that were attacking, were positive, were dominant. 
um, and then take the chances up to a point. Obviously, we'll 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 speak. I'm sure towards the last half an hour of the game where we probably could have scored another hatful, but generally, um, just a great game to be at. Um, admittedly, you know, atmosphere was absolutely dead from the home fans who have not. In being enjoying their football very much recently, um, and it was a little bit weird when um, when you've got an away end that aren't sort of together in a block. We've got like the we've got the one ground floor of the of that end, so it felt different because so many of the chants were sort of carrying on in two places and they kept clashing with each other in in my head. But um, generally, just a great great away day. And I mean, we'll get onto more bits and pieces, but uh, it was just so enjoyable for the most part. Yeah, Matt, we didn't look like the away team. I can remember pre-match when we were in the pub and I think you expected and I would expect Sheffield United to play with a lot of heart. This was a big game for them. You know, they want to survive this season. They probably looked at this fixture as a must win, but felt like we were in control from the start. I mean, I had a couple of fans behind me confused maybe that we weren't pressing like we were against Newcastle. John's previously spoken about this, about different teams and different styles. If you try and press a team like Sheffield United, they just play over the top of you. So it was all about us controlling the game and then getting a goal, break them down, and that changes the fixture. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, we, we spoke about this. I know I spoke about it a lot before the in the preview and before the game about how I was expecting a, a real cauldron at Bramall Lane. I was expecting their fans to be vociferous and, uh, you know, unwelcoming. I was expecting the team to be the same on the pitch, I felt we. My worry was how we were going to match them in terms of our work rate, our effort, you know, and and uh, our heart and desire. We needed to match them with all of that, and it shocked me to the core, really, because I think from not not even from when we scored the first goal, I think from from the first minute and even pre-match, it was it just seemed really flat. And you know, it'd be interesting to get Sheffield United fans, a Sheffield United perspective on it, what they thought, because I, I was really expecting a crackling atmosphere from the home support. Um, for him to really sort of get behind them and and uh, drown us out, but he, and John's right. In, even in the even in the away end, I just thought it was a little bit flat. Probably just I was sat to the as you look out uh, out onto the pitch, I was sat to the or stood to the right of the goal, so I was right on the end where there was a lot of empty seats, uh, so I couldn't really get involved in the atmosphere. But I didn't feel like our atmosphere was was fantastic. But then looking at some Sheffield United vlogs online and, and listening to some of their fans, they were saying. You know, yeah, yeah, your fans were great. You know, there wasn't, you know, massive numbers. Maybe it's just under 2,000 or whatever it was. Just, I thought it was a reasonable turnout. But the noise from us was good. But their 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 atmosphere was shocking. And that seemed to transmit to their players on the pitch. I just thought they, they didn't get going at all in any way, shape or form from minute one. I thought we took control of the game from, from the first minute. And... John's, you know, right, and Kirk, what you said, we we didn't we didn't use our pressing game to big to big effect because I didn't think we really needed to. I thought it was all about us us just controlling things in the middle of the park, and and uh, using our technical ability because our players were technically far better than theirs. And I thought, you know, from Cook and Christie pulling all the strings in midfield that they did, I thought that that gave us the impetus to to really control the game from from back to front, really, which is exactly what we did. And Sheffield United just had no answer to that. Obviously, the early goal helps massively um you know it settles us down into our flow into our rhythm and it, it it uh it puts them on on the back foot really and their, their fans went even more flat but yeah from 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 the word go we were just it, totally in control and I, I was shocked really at how passive and how flat you know Sheffield United were both on and off the field so uh it was great for us but uh yeah a, re a real surprise for me because you did say Aaron you did say 
what performance is it going to be? Is it going to be Newcastle? Is it going to be Everton? There might have been a slight concern that the international break could have dented that really impressive attacking performance that we had against the Magpies, but we did it again. I mean, that's now 21 shots on target in two Premier League games. And in Leicester for more Wolves, do very well this evening. That's the highest number of shots on target for the second consecutive week for the Cherries. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's great to watch. You know, I think we scored look, we scored five goals in the two games, and we, we probably should have scored ten at least over those two games. Um, and you know, Newcastle were weakened, but look what they did to Chelsea at the weekend with with still a very weakened team. So um, that was their only defeat in about seven or eight league games. So yeah, and and I think I, I mentioned before. I think after the Everton game, as dire as that was, I said confidence is so important in football. Um, it's key, and you can see that we were confident. You know, when you when you play with confidence, it adds an extra 30 percent because you can have all the skill in the world. If you're not playing confidently, that's not going to rub off on the pitch. But we looked confident. We looked, you know, at ease with ourselves. Everyone was playing. There were little flicks going on. There was just you know, tricks all over the over the pitch. Um, I mean, so, so yeah, some of Semenya's stuff was just brilliant to watch. And it's just, you know, sort of see you later and Sinistera and everyone, even Sinesi, his own penalty area, much to my disgust at the time, was trying to back flick it. And I was just like, oh, my God, not there. But it came off. Um, but, yeah, you can see that philosophy is beginning to to, to real, really embed itself in the team. Sheffield United were poor. Let's not beat around the bush. They were really poor. And as Matt said, I was really surprised and shocked at not just how poor they were, but how how poor the crowd were. Um, I thought it also would be like a really vociferous atmosphere. You know, I think in the second minute they had a long throw, which having seen that, I was really worried for the rest of the game, thinking they're going to start launching it in the box. But they only did one more, I think, the whole game. Um, and they just didn't they didn't really play to 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 what would have been their strengths. Um, and the crowd didn't help them. So yeah, the players didn't perform, but their crowd were really, really poor. But we controlled it from start to finish, as the other guys have said, and it was just a just a really enjoyable game. Um uh, you know, in the first half, I think all we we all felt that we needed another goal um, to settle us, um, and which we got at a perfect time because um, it kind of knocked the stuffing out of them a bit. And then that third goal, right at the beginning of the second half, was perfect as well. But yeah, I mean, the last half an hour was just fun, wasn't it? That's all I can say. Yeah. It was just brilliant. We were just literally laughing because we were, it was just shot after shot after shot, and six or seven players flooding forward, and that's what we want to see. Um, we can only play who we're up against, so. Yeah, the confidence should be sky high now and we can actually take that into the next few games. Thank you to the recent fans that have just jumped onto this live stream, including Paul, Matthew, Josh, Sammy, got Luke Andrews also with us, Mark and Bev. Great to see you at half time during the game. Great chat. Enjoy those. Thank you very much for coming up to see me. David Codron felt that we did press in a few moments that they did have the ball, but having 70% possession, it just pure control from start to finish. Wing praising. I don't get a lot right, Wing, but it did come in. And Matt as well predicted 3-1, if you can remember. I mean, yes, Matt. I mean, the timings of the goal were, were fantastic. I mean, we really got in there before 20 minutes. We got the second just before half time. We come straight out in the third, just after half time. It, the goals couldn't have come at better times, in my opinion. Maybe just a few more would have been even more nice. 
Yeah, it was perfect timing. The first one for me is key because that that obviously sets the tone and it settles us down. And uh, I, th- I thought we really sort of kicked on from there and took total control of the game for the rest the rest of it really, particularly that in the first half. The the only travesty really going into halftime when it was still one there was I was thinking it's got to be more. It should be it should be at least two. And this will be a bit of a, a travesty and, and even a bit of a worry going in at one 0 because they can't be this bad second half. Surely they're gonna they're gonna come out of the traps flying and they're gonna they cause us problems. And one nil, you know, you, we've said it before, haven't we? In both boxes, you, you've got to you've got to take your opportunities at this level. You've got to be clinical in both boxes. Um, and we 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 that's the only criticism for me is that we've been found guilty of of not being so in in recent games. We missed a lot of opportunities. So the fact we got the second albeit by default, really, on the stroke of halftime um, was 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 definitely uh, a pivotal moment. Um, and then and then the third one, as we've already said, just just wrapped things up for me. But what struck me, I think Aaron's just touched on it there before before previously, is that the amount of uh, bodies that we were getting forward. So when we were breaking, we were breaking at real pace because we have got real pace and strength in the side and we were coming forward in waves. And that's something that we haven't seen for years, really, and it probably under... Eddie Howe was the last time. But, you know, even when Billing come on, you've got the midfield, they're absolutely busting a gut to get in the box and, and support the players that are, that are flowing. So we're flowing forward in, in numbers and it was so good to see. And so so some of the some of the, the movement and the, the passing move and the, the fluidity was was a joy to watch at times. And yes, you have to take into account the, the nature of the opposition. They were poor, Sheffield United, as I think Aaron again has, has said. No, make too, but no, make no bones about it. They were poor, so we, you know, we we were going to look very good. But players like Lewis Cook and Ryan Christie, the way they were controlling things in the middle, and and the technical ability that they were showing on the ball and the work rate off the ball was was phenomenal at times, absolutely phenomenal. Um, Smithy bombing forward a lot, a lot of it was coming down their left and our right hand side for a reason. I thought they looked pretty weak there. Um, so Smithy going forward a lot, particularly second half, made the made the third goal. Obviously, the way he did. That, that was a joy to watch. It was unsettled a little bit on the left, obviously, with Lloyd Kelly coming off and Kirk is coming on. But what Kirk has obviously, obviously offered, offered us something different when he came on. So he, he was he was getting forward. He could have got himself on the score sheet and he was almost playing like a left winger, wasn't he, in the end? And it was just a joy to watch. And I think it's been said in the chat, some of Semenyo's play, Hmm. Unbelievable from from a player that's come from Bristol City that was not massively rated by them. They, you know, I, I know a few Bristol City fans and they weren't over enamoured with the fella before we signed him. And, and when you sign him, you think, well, "Where's what are we doing with this bloke?" Start of the season, couldn't get near it. If you look at him now, for where he's at, he's he's he's, he's unplayable at times, um, and certainly not not someone you would you would even think about dropping at the moment. And I thought some of his play that you know the ball that he slipped into Tavernier for the first goal was. Unbelievable! It's you know if um, if another player from a top six club is doing that, the whole media world are waxing lyrical about it, aren't they? So it was it was phenomenal to see. Him. And Tabs coming into his own, you could go from one to eleven, couldn't you? I yeah. thought Zabani was Zabani had his best game. I thought in a Bournemouth shirt, he looked rock solid. Taking into account the opposition again, yes, they were poor, but we can only you know play against what we were up against and perform accordingly. But I thought there was there were so many standout performances. From one to eleven, so it was, it was, yeah, it was great stuff. Yeah, I would echo a lot of that, John. And someone we do need to talk about is a player that is taking his opportunity because he knows he has to take it. We probably would have seen this guy as a winger coming in for ten to eleven million pounds, played in many leagues. He's been pushed central to get him into this side, and now he's potentially keeping out Philip Billing. He got that crucial second goal. 
and he's the youngest ever player to score in Europe's top six divisions. Justin Cliver got his first Bournemouth goal. Good finish, actually, John, because the pressure was on. The keeper made a mess of it, let's not lie, but he could have taken a couple more touches, got closer to the goal, but he trusted his talent and he went sort of out to win and, and just made sure it didn't hit the post. Yeah, um, I believe he's the only to score in Europe's top six. I think he's the youngest to score in the top five. But uh, again, I you every, take every opinion, uh, take every stat you see on Twitter with a pinch of salt. Um, it's um, yeah, I think he's the thing is, it was something that I know was mentioned in passing on this channel. The fact that, you know, are we necessarily going to get the most out of him as a winger? And I definitely brought up that if Solanke was injured, he would be an option up front. And at the moment, as was discussed when he came in, we were like, well, you can play anywhere across that three in behind the striker. And that's exactly what he's doing. And I think that um, you saw something slightly different from him uh, in this game as opposed to when he played against Newcastle, where I, I really liked um, the the his intelligence um, against Newcastle, where Tavernier was coming off the left-hand side and just wandering into the middle of the pitch frequently. And whenever Tamane did that, Clive moved over to the left-hand side and took up that space. And there were some nice combinations that ended up happening between the two of them. In this game, he stayed a lot more central, uh, I feel. I feel he very much just kept to being in that role. Um, I think that given that Sheffield United, as much as I thought it was a 3-5-2, I've looked it up, it looks like it was more of a 3-4, quite a narrow 3-4-3, uh, 3-4-2-1 rather. So we kind of were able to make a little bit more of those central spaces. Um and he was able to pick up the pockets quite nicely. Obviously, did did make the most of an awful mistake um, for, for his goal. Um, and I think that there's still a lot more to come from him. And I think that it's it's easy to it's easy to miss him at the moment in games in terms of like, you know, he took a took a few shots, but he's not really he's not doesn't look like he's going to be the create the creative force for us at the moment. He certainly he's not making any incisive passes, but he's getting in positions to be able to then take a shot nick the ball of the keeper you know it's he's he's providing the kind of support that i think Solanke has needed as someone that sticks quite close to him which i think is really important um and to spread that over to as has been mentioned about uh Semenio and tavernier their movement uh, i think was fantastic today it's uh, as you found tavernier popping up on the right hand side of it Semenyo, you know doing some lovely skills on the left hand side he you know there's that nutmeg that afc bournemouth have put up on twitter um, that he pulls off and then pulls it back to that's the one that Tavernier skies over the bar from about seven yards out or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I just think that it, when when we've spoken before about options on the wing in terms of Watara, in terms of Sinistera, I suppose more so the likes of a player like Brooks, who I think could certainly hack it definitely in this side. But when you look at what Iriola wants... Semenyo above all others and maybe Watara are exactly what Iriola wants because you just see like the amount of times that Semenyo's physicality has absolutely bullied his opposition wing back. You saw it against Newcastle where Lewis Hall was bouncing off him as to how much stronger he was than that than admittedly a 17 year old. But even in this game, he made those Sheffield United wing backs look like League One players. That it just he utterly dominated the defenders that he went up against and as matt said as matt said like 
you cannot drop him at the moment. And it's it, we think back to how he was performing in the first few games of the season, wondering why he was dropped in the first place. Maybe mm. he got a bit of a knock. But now you think you, you just can't. You cannot take him out of that side. You just can't. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it, it, we'll come up to, to other things further down the line that I think work well in, in our setup. But just just one-on-one physicality and dominating, I think I think Semenya was just was such a standout. And Justin Kluivert, Aaron, it is interesting because Philip Billing's place is not guaranteed now. And when he signed that new contract at the start of the season, you probably would have said that Phil Billing had earned that right to nail his spot in the side. And the way Justin is performing, there, there are parts of Justin Kluivert's game that I've highlighted previously about him being a little bit stronger in one-on-one duels, I think when he gets the freedom and the space to run into, I think he's good. I think before he scored in that game at the weekend, there was a few opportunities where he got forward and the pass wasn't quite right and he, and he let himself down there. But he's working hard. And you made a few comments by the side of me saying he's a different type of number 10. Yeah. I, I, look, I'm not going to say Phil Billing should not be in his team at the moment because he's given so much over... You know, over the over the years, and when he's played in his right position, that's where he's most effective. But what I the difference I think with someone like Cliver or even Sinistera, um, who can for me can also play that position if he's not starting on the wing, um, is that they they're like diminutive little players, low center of gravity, but they can you know pick up pockets, turn on a sixpence, and drive, um, and then either shoot or or you know whatever or just or, or play make or or, or you know, score hopefully. Um, and that is not what Phil Billing is. He's not the sort of player to, you know, obviously he hasn't got a low sense of gravity because he's the tallest player on the pitch, but he's, you know, he's not going to, he's a different sort of player. He hasn't got um, like that, that very, very quick, like quick feet and he can go in and out and buzz around, you know, what what what, what Clivert and Sinistera do. And they were a menace. They were a real menace. Um, Clivert was a menace. Um, that second goal came from that kind of buzzing around. And I think um, Sinistera again can prove that as well. So the two of them for me, um, are ideal and they get closer to and beyond Dom as well, um, as is proven. So certainly at the moment, for me, Phil shouldn't be in the starting lineup because I would put Justin or or Lewis Sinistera there um in that number 10 role. I've obviously keep Semenya and Tavernier on the wings. I think they fully deserve their starting starting places. I wouldn't change that at all. So for me, it just gives a different dynamic. It's just a different sort of thing. When you've got someone running at you and buzzing around and just in and out um it just makes a difference and um, phil is a different sort of player and you know, he came on he looked a bit angry when he came on actually you know he almost got himself sent off within about two minutes putting his arms around someone's neck um he gave the ball away and it was just it was just kind of like the, the bad side of phil billing when he kind of gives the ball away and there's a half half he's trying to run back and it just the body language wasn't right and this is that you know a lot of frustrations former fans have with him rightly or wrongly um, so yeah, absolutely not dismissing that Phil Billing is a massive player for us on his day, is one of our best players without a shadow of a doubt. But it's just working at the moment, and that's not necessarily without Phil, it's just working with Cliver or Sinistera or or someone else in that position who who's, who's a different sort of player. And I think that for what Iraola wants, it's working at the moment. Um, and I wouldn't change it. I it would say, working. can I just can I just yeah. sorry, come on there? I do think it is partly because of who we played as well, though. In terms of, and I think you probably were, were alluding to that as well, Aaron, but against a very tired Newcastle side that were far below their best, against a really poor Sheffield United side, which we fully dominated, 
we were able to have essentially four forwards. Mm. But I do think that in a game, as I'm sure we'll come on to against a team like Villa, can we afford to have only the two midfielders and have Clivert, who does do a bit of work coming back, but is mostly just going to stay up as a second striker and, and not really track back um, all that much. And for that, we might prefer Billing or Christie in that role. So it's, it, it will depend on the match, but I think yeah. that very definitely in these situations, him and Sinister are, are both great options for, for a game like like the ones we've had recently. Yeah, I mean, you can say stuff like that. I, you can, and, and what John's saying, there is a fair comment in that, Matt. I mean, what I would say, though, is what I'm seeing now is a side that's committed. And in this type of philosophy, identity, vision, you can't have one that's not committed or doesn't believe in it because everything will break down. It needs to be a well-oiled machine. They all need to believe. The players look like they believe, like you've spoken about and others have spoken about. Sabani has been really good. Senesi has been very, very good since Newcastle. Smith came in and looked like he was a regular. Lloyd Kelly's been fantastic at left-back. Let's hope he's available for Aston Villa. We'll come on to Lewis Cook in a minute, Ryan Christie. But the team, all of them, look like they know what they're doing now, Matt. And when they do do what Andoni believes in, this is the results we can get. Yeah, you all know my my stance on the Cliver billing situation from Saturday because I said it in the preview. I was just delighted that Ariola stuck with Cliver and stuck with the, the players where he could that served him so well against Newcastle because eventually he is going to have to settle on a uh, a fairly settled and, and balanced team. Um, and and we're seeing uh, we're, we're seeing uh, some some shoots of that now, aren't we? So I, I was really pleased that he stuck with Cliver on Saturday. His horses for courses, as John said, and, and as I, I said last week, sometimes you know it, it might not suit depending on the opposition that we play. But uh, he deserved his opportunity again. And this is not just taking the football side out of it, taking the tactical side out of it, and everything, and 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 putting in the man management side. What message would it have sent to Cliver and others within the squad if he'd have dropped him and brought Billing back? Because I think for me, Billing offers you something different that, he, that nobody else does in the squad. But there are question marks about his, his attitude, his temperament, it, you know, that, that are always sort of uh, bubbling you know, under the surface, really. Um Rightly or wrongly. Well, it, there is from me anyway. Um, We know what he offers you, Phil Billing, but... um. Is there, a, is there an element that he is, is a bit of a problem sometimes behind the scenes in the dressing room? Don't know, speculation, but there are hints of it. Um, and like you rightly say, Kirk, you know, you, you need you need players out there that are going to buy into the philosophy, buy into everything that Iriola's doing. And I really feel that in the last two games, we're seeing the results of that. I think Iriola can now stand there and say, this is what I'm all about. This is me putting my stamp on this this team. This is me creating the the style of football, the philosophy, the identity that I want to see. Because we're seeing that now. We saw it against Newcastle. We saw it against Sheffield United. Um, and and it was it was a, it, I'll be honest with you. It's, a, it's been a joy to watch. Um, I don't think we've seen that type of uh, flowing, aggressive front foot football um, with, with with bodies in the box and and uh, you know the chances that we're creating, the, the numbers that we're that we're showing in, in terms of the statistics from an offensive point of view. We haven't seen that since the Eddie Howe era, have we, at least. So it really is a, a joy to watch. And you've, you've got a, a, a squad there now and a team that are really buying into it. Uh, confidence is a key factor, as Aaron said, and, and the confidence comes from winning football matches. And we've now done done it three times in, in four. Um, and and, and there's, the, there's the result for you. So hopefully now we can use this as the platform to, to really kick on in the second part of the season as well. 
Stephen Dyers, agreeing with you, Aaron. Always feel Phil Bill is a little bit complacent. Matt C, you can't change what's not broken. We should keep that starting lineup. We'll have to see if Lloyd Kelly is fit. Ben is also joining us in the stream and Gene as well. I do want to talk about Lewis Cook in a minute, Aaron, but as we're having these discussions around wingers and keeping a happy squad, because that's always going to be a challenge to any coach in the Premier League, there is someone potentially that is missing out on this, and that is David Brooks. He come off the bench to play in the second half. Um, nice nice sort of appearance for him against Sheffield United. He was frustrated when Kirkes didn't slip him at the back post for a goal. And, and it must be a frustrating time for David Brooks. He worked so hard in pre-season. He, he sort of had a few minutes in, in the start of the season. I think he got a goal at Brentford. This is a, it doesn't, yeah, it, it's really tough to get him in this type of, this type of game that we're currently playing at the moment. And you can see the way Semenyo's playing. You ain't budging him out at the moment. So is this a tough moment for David Brooks? It, it is. I think, I mean, I spoke about this, I think, with John in the, in the pub beforehand uh, and uh, and Matt, I think, was there as well. Um, we were just saying that it's, it's a really funny situation because David Brooks, you know, post, you know, obviously allowing for his illness, look, getting back to his best. Um, and when David Brooks is at his best, he's, you know, one of the most best players in the team. Um, but as John mentioned earlier, for an Iraola winger, he wants pace and strength um and and brooks hasn't got either of those that's the problem so for me if he's going to be in his team it's going to be in that position we talked about a lot already this evening is that number 10 role because he has the ability to more than anyone in my opinion probably to create and see a pass um the vision and you know he's, he's he can certainly shoot as well um and just be little cute little passes and unlock defenses um, so for me, that's probably where his position lies. So there's there's quite a few players now vying for that kind of central number 10 creative role. Um, he did look very frustrated when he came on. Um, we were right kind of in line with him when when Kirkus, who in my opinion had every right to go for a shot there. Um, it was very yeah. narrowly wide. So but but Brooks, you know, he kind of looked and, and we could clearly see him mouth, you know, what the F was that? I was, you know, he, he, we could see it. He was He was absolutely furious. And I think that's, you know, part and parcel of the fact that, as I said, Kirk has had a right to shoot there, but I think he he knows his his chances are going to be limited. He had like 10, 15 minutes. He obviously wanted to, to try and impress. He knows he's not going to be starting in, the, in those wide positions. Um, I'd you know, you know, talking about Cliver and Sinistera, it's he's a different player again to them. So he, he can play that number ten role, but again, it's it's a different. It would be a different approach, different approach to Billing, a different approach to to, to the other two. So. There will be chances for him, I, I think. I mean, like, people talking about whether he should go on loan in January. I, I wouldn't like to. I don't want to see that. Um, but is there an argument for it? I don't know. It depends really how far down the pecking order he is. I, I, I wouldn't like to see that because I still think he he's class. He's a class yeah. act. Um, and he can still do brilliant things for us. But it's just about getting in that team at the moment and it's difficult. Yeah, it's going to be a long season. And when you score a brace, John, you expect maybe take the man of the match trophy but I don't think Marcus Tavernier did because someone who let his team down a few weeks ago he owned it he said in the changing room that he apologized to the players and I tell you what he's done since that point John is he's repaying game on game it's Mr Lewis Cook what a fantastic performance he had again at Bramall Lane. Seven duels won, tackles two, key passes two, aerial duels won as well. He was all over the pitch. I mean, he's hot to the right, but uh, 
he was all over the pitch and he's breaking up play. And I tell you what, if Tyler Adams thinks he's walking into this side when he's fit, he's probably got another thing coming and he's proving everyone wrong. Even myself, when I said he's a squad player, now I'm starting to think that if he keeps performing like this, he's got every chance of being a solid starter in this team for us moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, to be fair, I don't think it's necessarily those Cook's place that Tyler Adams would take. It would be um, probably Ryan Christie more so in terms of to shore up defensively in the midfield. But regardless, Christie is also having a, a great run of things in midfield, a place that I don't think a lot of us saw saw him playing. And it's been needs must and it's, and it's worked out fantastically well so far to have those two as a surprisingly strong base in which to build our attacks from. Um, they're winning the ball very aggressively. Um, I'd have to check again, but Lewis Cook was in the top 1% in top five leagues for interceptions for a midfielder not long ago. I'd need to have a look again to see if he's still there. But he is just... It, it was something that I remember when he first came to Bournemouth and started first playing a little bit more regularly in a two alongside Lerma, I think it was in his second season. It was either him or it was either Lerma or Arta in his second season, of course. And it's it surprised me how strong he was as a ball winner back then. For someone that's so small in sort of like, you know, as, as a Premier League player, um, certainly maybe not the same midfielder, but he's not exactly a tall player. And yet he is very tigerish. He he's, he is so aggressive. Um, and But he's not silly with it he's he's very intelligent on and off the ball uh and when towards the start of this season i was continually saying no rothwell cannot take lewis cook's place because rothwell does not see the game the same way that cook does defensively cook has then shown himself to be better than i ever expected at playing in that dm role um and heck even against newcastle and in this game he was winning way more aerial duels than I would ever expect him to for being the short, one of the shortest players on the pitch as well. Just every facet of his game it just seems to have improved. Uh, and I mean, you know, admittedly, I feel as though that's more like finding the levels he could always be at and that maybe he has struggled at times under previous managers to find, for, to find you know, what we need from him. Um, but even today, even I say today, in, in against Sheffield United, he, a couple of times he picked up the ball and just ran forward with it. He beat he beat a fullback at one point to get down the wing and almost put in a cross. I think he ended up pulling it back instead. But you know, he's he, I think he's I think Iriola has given him and a few others a little bit more freedom, which I think has helped. He's obviously got to be defensively astute. He's got to be tactically aware and make sure that he's picking up the right positions. But he just looks a lot more free on the ball um and uh, he's just got so much more confidence now which is fantastic you just don't just, just don't want to see him lose that form because of an injury which you know which would be horrible to see but right now whilst we are without a dedicated dm in, in tyler adams he is filling out in that role amazingly well it's, it's been great to see yeah matt luke says cook has been brilliant the last two games hopefully it continues I thought Cook just needed Rothwell. I mean, I think we've all believed that there's a player in Lewis Cook. I just thought he needed someone. It wasn't Rothwell, though, Matt. He needed Ryan Christie. And they're complementing each other perfectly. And mm. he doesn't have to worry about numbers because we've now got four attacking players that are placing shots on goal every five minutes. Yeah, I just think bit by bit, you've, you've got to start giving uh, Iriola some real credit 
now because he's 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 a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, and a bit by bit he's starting to put the pieces together. And I think what he's doing and what you need any manager to be is you need to, them to be very assertive with you. So you need them to be assertive, but you also need to you need to know exactly what your remit is, and for your manager to be clear on exactly what he wants from you as a footballer on that pitch. And you can see now, and you could see it on Saturday, that is the case with Lewis Cook and, and that is the case with Ryan Christie. And it, it's the case with the, the whole eleven. really. He said to Lewis Cook, this is what I want from you, Lewis. This is what you're capable of. I believe you. this is the role for you. You can play it. You've got the ability. You can do it. This is what I want from you. And Lewis Cook and, and others in, in their respective roles are delivering that to the letter for Iriola. So you can now see his, his style as a, as a manager beginning to come through and how clear he is on his instructions and, and, and relay a note that to the players and what he expects from them and how he's going to get the best out of them. And, and he's certainly doing that. And, and he's done that with Lewis Cook this season. And we're now seeing uh, in Lewis Cook, the player that we signed originally, the player that broke into the England squad eventually, and the, a player that's, that's had so many setbacks in his time here. He's had such a, a roller coaster ride, hasn't he, during his time. He's now come back stronger from those setbacks, from those injuries, like Callum Wilson did in, in a different role, different position, obviously, but similar in terms of its nature. And we're now seeing Lewis Cook respond to that because at the start of the season, we were all questioning where Lewis Cook sits. We didn't see a role for him. Is he a number eight? Is he a number six? Is he a, what, what is Lewis Cook? And even he would probably, back in those days, would, would think to himself, what am I? Who am I? Where do I slot in? Where, where do I fit into this in the great scheme of things? So you could see him either becoming a squad player in the background or drifting away from the club, going out on loan or being transferred somewhere else. Now, that is not a possibility at all. He is a key cog and a pivotal figure in this in this setup now. And in that number, he's firmly in that number six role. If somebody asks you what sort of player is Lewis Cook now, you're saying he's a number six. That's what he is. And Lewis Cook will be saying, I'm a number six. That's what I am. You can see it clearly. And Iriola has implemented that. He's developed that. You have to give him credit for that, along with the player. It's been a, a phenomenal transformation, really. Uh, and he was an absolute joy to watch, Lewis Cook, as John's already said Saturday. He mixed his game up. He didn't just do the ugly stuff well. His, his, his ability on the ball was phenomenal. And I'll go back and I'll say it again. The, the quality of the opposition, you know, technically wasn't great and you can only play against what's in front of you. But he was, his, his technical ability on Saturday was phenomenal and superb. And every aspect of his game, his work rate, his commitment, what he did off the ball, on the ball was faultless, to be honest. He was absolutely faultless. Alongside Ryan Christie, who, who is, is a revelation in the eight role and another player that, you know, in the same vein. Uh, Iriola has obviously said to him, this is what I want from you now, right? This is what you can do as a number eight. This is what I want you to do. This is what you're capable of doing. I've worked out what your strengths and your weaknesses are. This is what exactly what I want you to deliver. Christie is, is doing that to the letter as well. And it's just it's just a joy to, to watch at the moment to see this this double pivot of Cook and Christie, this unexpected um, double pivot, really, and, and, and positional change that Iriola has implemented. Brilliant stuff. Because, Aaron, there is a lot of love for Lewis Cook. There's a lot of fan backing in the chat right now. David's spoken about he knows his place is secure right now. So is that settling him down just to go and perform? I mean, Charlie Lanners, am I the only one not surprised by Lewis Cook's form? Class is permanent. He's been fantastic the last couple of games. Yeah, and he, he seems to have developed a yard of pace, extra yard of pace. I don't know where that's come from. As John said, he was flying down the wing, um, like acceleration and 
maybe that just comes with getting fitter and getting game time because you know he's, he's looked as mobile as i can remember seeing him for a long long time um but he does read the game exceptionally well he was throwing himself in front you know that uh, i think we said that the christian cook are probably the least two imposing scary center midfielders you could be up against but they make up for it in work ethic um tenacity and yeah they were just this is working really well again do we do we do we allude to the fact that the last two teams you've played have been weakened or either rubbish or weaker um but you know I, I think we've got to take a lot of credit in both those games as well i think for the way we played but yeah look we can't afford for lewis cook to get an injury at the moment you know we know tyler adams is still some way away um and alex scott for that matter so at the moment they are kind of our, our central midfielders along with joe rothwell so long may it continue but um they're going to be harder tests ahead but but yeah lewis cook has has more than repaid his um his error against wolves we are live and interactive on youtube and twitter for episode 20 of cherries in focus do subscribe to the channel we are getting very close to 1850 so keep spreading the word and hit the like button Thank you to our monthly members or anyone who donates. You can become a member or donate to the channel at buymeacoffee.com slash cherriesredarmy. Or, as again, I'll say, just smash that like button because it does help this video grow throughout the week as we lead into the next fixture. Me and John, we're going to try and put a little preview together for you. Normally, we talk about the next game in a little bit of detail on these episodes, but there might be a little preview coming for you later on in the week. But let's talk about Aston Villa, guys. Let's just touch on it slightly. John, I mean, they're, they're a side in form as well. I mean, they turned it around at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to win 2-1. So both teams go into this with back-to-back -back wins. They're currently fourth in the table. They're doing very well under Unai Emery and his 12 analysts that he has in his backroom staff. Yeah, they're going to be a tough outfit, a different outfit, because I'm expecting a side that's going to dominate this game. But I'm hearing that they're a fluid side, John, that... Can play many different ways in a 90-minute game. Yeah, um, for anyone that subscribes to any tactical podcasts or follows TIFO IRL or any of those guys on, on YouTube and, and Spotify, that uh, there's been quite a lot of content about Unai Emery that's come out in the last week or so. Um, and to be fair, he's done an incredible job with, with Villa as much as they were massively underperforming under Steven Gerrard. He's now got them fourth place, two points behind the leaders, Arsenal, beating Tottenham. Um, outside of a poor performance against she against uh, Nottingham Forest, they've obviously won their last several. Um, they are going to be very difficult to beat. Um, they don't have the greatest away record, though. This is the one thing that we can sort of hang a bit of a hat on. Um, they are norm almost faultless at home. But away from home, not not quite so good. And part of that may be due to um, Emery's tactics. I mean, they've they are they play a very very high line, and this is where we may be able to get some joy out of them um, because we have that that pace in. Um, Tavern is fast, but he's not as fast as Sinistera or uh, Semenyo certainly got uh, something about him in, in his pace, as has Solanke, Watara most certainly does. 
Um, so I think we could have a decent chance of getting something from this uh, from this game. I do certainly favour Villa without a, without a shadow of a doubt. But the other thing is that they've um, that Kamara, um, the DM, has got picked up his fifth yellow card, so he'll be unavailable for this game. Which is a which is we're making a habit of this. Thankfully, Gimaraes was uh, was unavailable <laughs> against Newcastle, and now Kamara is not available for for Villa. So we're, we're we're hitting some nice times to play some of these sides. Uh, but they do have one of the best strikers in the league in in um, in Watkins, very talented attacking midfield uh, attacking midfielders in Saniolo, Diaby, Bailey, McGinn. Um, it's it's going to be a tough one, but I do think we've got the weapons to harm them without a doubt, um, and I certainly see us scoring in this game without a doubt. But we do need to be making sure that we make the most of our chances, which. Um, for anyone that watched that Spurs game, they definitely didn't, uh, as much as they did have, as much as Son did have a hat trick of offside goals as well. Um, but yeah. that's that what Villa does. They they catch people offside a lot. So um, I'm sure we'll be keeping an eye on on trying to make the most of of the uh, or take advantage of their style as much as we can. Yeah, Matt Mark Singleton says they don't like coming to the Vitality Dean Courts. We've got a few good results against them. We've been on the end of the wrong results as well in our first ever Premier League game. But um, it is an interesting tie. There's some very good players that are going to be in this fixture. Douglas Luiz is a great midfielder. We were talking about Lewis Cook, but he's performing very well for them in the centre of the park. Apparently, Zaniolo is going to be available for this game. And John's already spoken about Ollie Watkins, who's very much in form. He wants to be on the plane going to Germany in May, June next year. So um, it's going to be a tough side, but I do fancy us to to have another go at this. And uh, there's definitely points to be had here for me. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, this is going to be uh, the, the the biggest test we've had recently. People talk about the the Newcastle game. Um, they obviously weren't at full strength. I think Villa will be uh, will feel a stronger side than uh, the Newcastle. This this is a real test because they are flying. But and I really really rate. I mean, we, we said it last season when we were Villa away. I really rate you know Emery as a manager. I thought he was he was a little bit unlucky at Arsenal, uh, harshly dealt with. But you look at his record across Europe and the things he's done with the clubs that he's managed. Uh, and what he's doing now with Aston Villa and how he how he sets up, how he man manages, but how he sets up tactically is his formation is very, very fluid. They almost play a um a four four two almost for me, um, at times, which which uh it looked like they were doing on uh, on Sunday against against Tottenham with Diaby next to Watkins more often than not. And and, and Matty Cash is almost <laughs> it pushed up as a right winger, isn't he? A bit like um Smithy was for us at times on on Saturday, and and the sort of areas that we want to get uh, our our fullbacks into with Kerkes on the other side. Matty Cash was doing that for for me, so they got some real real threats, some real pace, some real real quality players. It's going to be a tough tough ask for us. I I personally think we can cause them problems. Yeah, I think we're 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 in a good place right now, um, as we've talked about previously. I think we're, we're confident. We're at home. They, they, as Mark said, they, they don't like coming here, do they? They've not got a great record against us in recent years. Um, so sometimes psychologically that can that can be a factor. It can play a bit of a part. We've got to make it difficult for them. We've got to get um, behind them in the stands and make it a bit of a, a cauldron. You know, two o'clock Sunday afternoon is not a great kickoff time for us usually, us, us supporters. It can be a little bit subdued in the stands at times. So we've got to, we've got to change that on Sunday. Um, and just make it as hostile as it, as we can and difficult as we, for those players as we can. But um, we've got our own threat. Let them worry about us as well going, going forward and uh, what we can offer because we've shown in the last couple of games that, you know, we're not to be taken lightly. So 
I, I personally would take a point. I think a point would be a, a great uh, outcome for us on, on, on Sunday. We'll keep us ticking over very nicely, going into some much more winnable fixtures and some some arguably some crucial crucial fixtures over the, the Christmas period. When you look at, I think, Palace away is up next. You know, the likes of Forest away, Luton home, Fulham home. Those, those four games in December um, are vital for us. And for me... We've got to be taking uh, some minimum seven points, I think, from them four, really. Um, pr- preferably more. I think we're capable of taking more than those teams. So, um, yeah, it'd be great to get a point. And then, obviously, I think it's Palace away, Man United away after that. So, um, a tough little run. But then some some very uh, some very winnable fixes in amongst it as well in December. So, yeah, looking forward to it. It'll be interesting. To, it'll be an interesting match-up, I think, Saturday, Sunday. An interesting yeah. game to watch. It's going to be a real test there, Aaron. And Andoni and his inherited backroom staff have really got to be on their feet as Emre tries to pull off an away win for Villa because they're flying high in the league. But it is very fluid, I'm hearing. Like Matt said, they do sort of set up as a 4-4-2, but there's lots of interchanging a player. So I'm really interested to see how this plays out. But you know what? They can lose. Forest beat them 2-0. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, we haven't mentioned yet, but they play on Thursday night, which is obviously the reason we're playing on Sunday. Um, so they play Legia Warsaw on Thursday, unfortunately at home. So it's not like a lot of travelling for them. But um, I think they're both top of they're equal top of their Europa Conference League. But I think the winner of the group gets a longer break apparently. Um, so it is in their interest to win. So they'll hopefully put a very strong side out against Legia Warsaw because then it gives them a, quite a long break before they play in Europe again. So yeah, we're not. We obviously got a fresh week, so hopefully they will be a little tired by the time they play us because it's kind of two and a half day turnaround. So that's one advantage. Um, and I think, look, I think we can play with a bit of pressure. We don't want to lose the game. Obviously, if we did lose the game, having come out, you know, three wins out of our last four games, it's not the end of the world. As Matt said, we've got some winnable games coming up. The pressure's off to the extent that you know we've got some wins on the board now. There's a gap between us and the bottom three. We can give it a go. If we lose to Villa, they're top four. You know, I was listening to 606 on the way back on the, on the, um, the other day and um, some of their fans think they're nailed on the top four. Some of them even talk about the title, which is absolutely ridiculous. But, but you know, they are they are a serious team with a serious manager. If we lose to them, it's not the end of the world. So let's give it a big go. Um, and you mentioned the backroom staff there, Kurt. I mean, they bring 21 backroom staff with them. So we've got plenty of room in our dugout because we've only got about three. So, so they can share our dugout if they want. And you tell that to Claudio Renieri and he'll have something to say about Premier League titles. I tell you what, we're really early on this week, but why not? Put your score predictions in the chat. You've got about 60 seconds. What's the score prediction on Sunday? And me and John will try and get a few preview notes for you later on in the week. Um, Very, very quickly, guys, as we wrap up episode 20, John, looking at the team, I mean... I think Andoni would probably want to go unchanged, but we have got this question mark over Lloyd Kelly, maybe precaution. Could that be a game changer? I mean, I thought it was okay when Kirkes came on at halftime at Sheffield United. It was almost a perfect time for him to come on 2-0 up. Sheffield United had to chase a game. Then it allowed him to have space to drive forward. It's a different game, 0-0 at home against Aston Villa because we know where the weaknesses are for Kirkes. So if it's Kirkes and, and not Kelly, is there a concern there? Um, I mean, yeah, in terms of just defensively, Kelly is just better than Kirkes. There's no doubt about that. But um, I don't think it would be the end of the world at all to have Kirkes in, in this game. Um, Matt was alluding to Matt Cash playing very, very far forward for, for Aston Villa um, 
against Spurs, I mean, he was the right mid because Enzo Consul was playing as, as right back, but then he got a yellow card and almost got himself sent off. So they had to had to take him off at half time. Um, but typically, Villa play in a 4-4-2 diamond when they can and are quite narrow. So there's less defensive responsibility on um, on Kirkes, unless it is Matty Cash who will play quite wide. Uh, but I think that will be a battle that I can he think he can do quite well in. So two very aggressive players. They might get each other sent off, but you know I think he'd do pretty well in that battle. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that... Um, I think the it's definitely going to be the midfield that's going to be a big battle, and 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 I think as you're turning it in terms of selection, I I can't I can't really see him sticking with Cliver um, in this position. Obviously, just in terms of like he's done well, he deserves it, but like he's not got the pace that Sinistera or Watara does. He doesn't work back as hard as I think we're going to need our number ten to do. I, I could see him being changed out, whether it be for Brooks, who works hard defensively and maybe is better unlocking a team, or just for lightning pace and Sinistera, who just to punish their high line, which I could easily see him doing. Um, or bidding. But that would I feel that doesn't try and I feel that just tries to make us more solid in midfield when really we can't really attack their high line and you could play someone like Sinistera to do that. So there's a few options, and I do think it's going to be obviously that that's the only two selection headaches for me for Iraola. It's who plays at left back purely because of fitness, and who plays in number ten for many different tactical reasons, or the consistency because Clivert scored, so it's fair enough that he plays. But I do think that there might be a a better option um, for this particular game uh, for Iraola. But that, that's uh, that's my opinion on it. Yeah, Matt, would you agree with that? I mean. It is easy to go over winning side. We've talked about not changing a winning team and a winning mentality, but there has to be some tactical skill in this, of course. Yeah, there does. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think Cliver, it, you know, needs to be picked on merit in terms of his performances the last two. Um, he hasn't done a lot, lot wrong, so he'd be harshly done by. But I think the other thing to remember as well, um, which which uh, you need to factor in, is the fact we got a game midweek, I think, at Crystal Palace. Um, so that. And then Man United away comes thick and fast the following Saturday. So this is the Premier League. You know, you can't pick the same 11 and expect 11 players to play 90 minutes game in, game out. There has to be some uh, uh, evolving in, in that respect and some some changes to be made. So he, he might look at that areola on, on Sunday. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act, isn't it? He's got to weigh up the fact that we, we go to Palace. Where does he see us getting the points? It's... It, it, you know the style, the way Villa set up, the, the challenge that's in front of us. Who does he, who does he go with? It is horses for courses, isn't it? So it'd be interesting to see what he does. But I think Lloyd Kelly, it would be a shame if he isn't fit on on Sunday. I think we um, ideally would need him in that in that left back role because defensively um, he's been outstanding recently and he's he's looked really really sound. And we're going to need uh, to perform to a very very high level defensively on on Sunday. I feel because. Villa will have more of the ball than us. I think they will have probably more territory than us overall um, due to the nature of the, the, the quality that they've got. So we're going to need to be on our game defensively. And I think um, Lloyd Kelly offers us that, um, but he gives us a bit of an outlet as well because we're going to need to get out as well and, and attack them. So, yeah, it be interesting to see what he does, but agree with, with the boys what, what everybody said, what we've all said really is let's give it a go. We're at home. Let's give it our best shot. If we get a point, brilliant if we get three unbelievable but let's uh let's let's give it a crack and uh try and uh keep the momentum going from a from a performance perspective 
So I'm going to dive into the chat in a minute, Aaron, just to get those score predictions out, early score predictions. But your final thoughts are on the lineup and potentially the missing Lewis uh, Lloyd Kelly, because I think he would be a big loss. And I, I like Kerkes, but I think he would be a big loss. Yeah, I think it's not the end of the world, as John said, but for me, it would be a big loss in this game. I think whether it's Cash or even Leon Bailey on that right-hand side has got pace and strength. And I think Kelly is obviously quick and strong. I'm not saying that Kirk is isn't, but it's just the victim handled himself a bit better, Kelly. So, yeah, in this game, I'd like to see I'd like to see Kelly fit. I mean, we haven't heard anything whether it's... It, they hoped it was a precaution. You know, unfortunately, someone, Lloyd Kelly is prone to injury. So, hopefully, they, they got him off in time before any damage was done. Whether he makes this game is up for question, but hopefully no, nothing's long-term. Um, and, yeah, it, look, I can see all the arguments about the midfield or the number 10, should I say. Um, I think there is a big argument for Sinistera to play. If you're going to... If you're going to take Clive out, I still would like to see that kind of that sort of player in there because Sinistera, with their high line, as John said, is is lightning quick, and and I think he deserves maybe a start. Not that Clive doesn't, but I'd like to see one of those two in there. I think if they do play four four two Villa, then we hopefully shouldn't be too outnumbered in the middle of the pitch, so um, we might have a bit more scope to 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 try and go at them. But I can I can understand if he wants to to to, to mix it up a bit. All right, let's have a look. But first. Ben's saying there's nearly 40 people in the chat, only 17 likes. Come on, smash the like. Come on, guys. It's the easiest way to support Cherry's Red Army. Right, what are you saying? It's early. It's a Monday. But Mark Cole's going for 2-2. I'll take a draw. Stephen Dyer's going for a 2-1 win to the Cherries. 2-1, Mark Singleton. Hope to see you in the North Stand. Wings going for AOC Bournemouth 2. Aston Villa 1. Chris Hubble's also going for 2-1. It's a 1-1 from Paul David. Come on. How long has it taken to get 3-1 last weekend? About another two years till we get it again. But he's going for Cherries 3, Aston Villa 1. The famous Cherries Red Army 3-1. Ben's going for 2-1, hopefully in favour of Bournemouth. Nick, 2-2. Morgan's going for 4-0. And Gene's going for 2-1. Now, I've probably used up all my predictions, guys, in one game week. I mean, I got Tavernier to score. I had the score line as well. I'll take a draw, keep the form going. 2-2, two, 1-1, two, one, one, really good game. That's that from me on the score prediction. John, it's been good to have you on episode 20. Your final thoughts on this episode and your score prediction, please. Um, yeah, some some nice chat uh, today. Uh, as, as mentioned by Kirk, we'll, we'll certainly have some small preview of, of some description coming out later, later in the week. Um, chatting to the uh, up the villa podcast on wednesday um and we'll get something out shortly after that but um in terms of score prediction uh let's say heads going two one loss hearts going two or draw um so we'll I take your I, heart on this one we'll, we'll go with a two two on this one matt your final thoughts on episode 20 it's been a good one it's been yep. two wins in a row going into this game very confident good atmosphere hopefully on sunday and your score prediction yeah, final thoughts are great to be on again. Great to, great to talk about a, what was a fantastic game on Saturday for AFC Bournemouth and a great weekend. Great to talk with you boys and great great to see everybody in the chat, be it, you know, con contributing as well. And yeah, some new people coming through as well. I always see some new names in there and you think, oh, who's this? Who's this? It's, it's great to see because, um, you know, we're all fans of the club at the end of the day. We Like we said before, it's, it's great to be involved in some fantastic debate with everybody. Regarding Sunday, I'm I'm going to go to two. I, I thought it from the start. I saw it in the chat, and I saw, you know, yourselves go. I, I think two two would be a, um, a sort of a, a good outcome, to be honest. And I think there is goals in the game. I don't see us 
possibly keeping a clean sheet, but I think we can we can uh, cause them problems as well. So I'll go with 2-2 and I would, at this point, take that all day long. Yeah, thank you for all the lovely comments that you're putting across all the videos in the chat, in the comments themselves of the video. Paul, again, loving the content. Thank you very much. And we're here all season to get behind the team. Aaron, what's your score prediction? Your final thoughts on episode 20? I'm I'm also going for a 2-2. I, th I thought that before everyone said anything as well. I'd also be delighted with that. I think if we can give them a really good game, it just builds momentum, keeps the points ticking along. Um, it'll be difficult, but um, yeah, I think I think there will be goals, and I think I'm going to go for two two as well. Fantastic! So yes, John will hopefully be catching up with the really nice guys at Up the Villa podcast in midweek, and it will be released on our channel at the end of the week. Okay, I wasn't going to tell you, but I will tell you. We also might have a little collaboration with Jacob Tanswell from the Athletics, so he might give his thoughts because he's down again. He loves coming to Bournemouth to watch this game and he does cover Aston Villa for the Athletic regularly so yeah we should have some some words from Jacob Tanswell ahead of this game thank you John no problem thanks for having me on again thank you Matt thanks Kurt thanks everybody always a pleasure thank you Aaron pleasure as always and thank you to you, the fans, for the weekend, all the comments, all the likes, and for joining us live on this YouTube and twi Twitter stream. Enjoy the rest of your week. Look after yourself wherever you are in the world. Get behind the team on Sunday. Let's go for another three Premier League points. Until the next one, we'll see you soon. Up, cherries. Up, the cherries. Up the cherries.